Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, July 31st, 2018. This is episode 2261. I finally have the number right on the announcement again. And that's this is a Tuesday. It's a Just Jack show. This is a standalone show where we talk about uh, some one individual topic and uh, kind of pick it apart together. Uh, today we're going to talk about kids. We're going to talk about getting kids excited about prepping and learning. So obviously if you're a parent or a grandparent, I think this show will be interesting to you. If you're not, I still think it might be interesting to you because it's very seldom that a person does not have the opportunity to impact the life of a child. Whether it's a niece or a nephew or the, the children of, of family or friends and things like that. Um, and a lot of times, you know, it's just not yet. And a lot of the stuff that I'll talk about today and I've talked about in other parenting shows, I don't know, people think maybe I was like this badass perfect parent or something. I screwed a lot of stuff up. I wish somebody would have talked to me about this stuff before I took the job of, of being a dad. Um, I think I did the best I could under the circumstances, but you learn through experience. And uh, I think many of us in Generation X, we, uh, we, we didn't learn from experience. We learned through experience. And, and what's the difference? Learning from experience means that someone's experienced it, they've had that experience, and therefore they transfer it to you, and then you add your own experience to it. That's To me, that's truly learning from experience. So that is your dad sits down with you and teaches you how to cut a board, and then through your – so you learn from his experience, and then through your own you add to it. To learn solely through experience means that dad wasn't there to teach to cut the board, so you just kept beating on the board until you got it cut. Uh, while actually my grandfather did help me learn how to cut a board, I would say most of us in Gen X, the majority of what we learned, we learned purely through experience. We didn't have as much guidance as prior generations. And this started a whole kind of cascade of things. If you think about it over and over, we hear people beating up on the millennial generation. And I'm sure it will soon be Gen Z's time to be beaten up on soon. The Gen Z are the younger kids right now. They think of us, you think of us as millennials. Millennials are in their 30s. Your oldest millennials are in their 30s. You, you, these kids that are 10, 11, 12 years old today, they're not even millennials. They're Gen Z. They're the next generation. That's how fast time's moving. Um, and I think I understand why. I mean, I've said this before, but a perfect example is having a 19-year-old kid work for me that doesn't know what a ratchet is. Now, I don't mean... Not knowing really like what to do with a ratchet or like saying, hey, we're going to change the starter motor. I mean like, here's a ratchet. I don't understand. I don't know what it is. You don't know what it is. But we have to ask, well, how do they get this way? And the only, the only logical answer for us that are older and even for some of the oldest baby boomers now, I'm sorry, the oldest uh, uh, millennials now that have kids of their own that are, you know, heading for double digits, we did it. We did it. And, but mostly who did it were the last of the baby boomers, that's my wife's generation, also known as the tweeners. 
And so you're, you're talking about this kind of baby boom version two group uh, that, that came up in the in the, the late '60s, uh, and then you got the Gen Xers that we came up mostly in the '70s and into the early '80s. But we were born in the '70s, and uh, therefore we we kind of grew up in a world without all the technology. We watched it all evolve over time. It wasn't just here when we got here, but we pretty much taught ourselves. We were latchkey kids, right? We also did learn a lot from the school system. As much as the school system sucked at the time, school at the time actually taught you how to do stuff. I had wood shop and metal shop in, 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 in school. In, in, and I mean in, in middle school and in junior high and in high school, I had different shop classes and stuff like that where we learned to actually do stuff. And They really don't have much of that anymore unless you go into like a vocational technical aspect in some high schools now. Uh, you really don't learn how to do something like use a bandsaw or a drill. Then we also had things like oh, home economics, which was mostly cooking. I took it because there were a bunch of girls in there. People like, what are you doing? It's all girls in there. Oh, yeah, you think? And I got to cook and eat food in school, so I thought it was cool. And, and most of the guys didn't take that class, but... Because they weren't smart, <laughs> but you know there was at least that for like that's not a thing anymore. You know, I, I was talking to my niece and her kids get into school where they're having parenting classes, and, and the parenting class consists of giving this kid a baby doll with a key, and when it cries, you have to hold the key, and it remembers whether or not you you held the key or not, and if it didn't, you fail. So you have to hold it the entire time the baby cries until the baby stops crying. I guess this maybe at least reinforces, hey, if you get pregnant, you're going to have a consequence. But I don't really think that it helps with anything when it comes to how to feed and care for a child or feed and care for yourself. So what we did, unfortunately, us Gen Xers and, and baby boomers, we kind of outsourced all of this stuff to the public education system. Because we all have two jobs. Not only we all have two jobs, we all have two, two income households. Mom and dad both work. Grandparents, which are the aging boomers and the early boomers, are now working later in life. So the kids aren't spending time with their grandparents. So there's not even that kind of second generation you know, lift going on. So these kids are basically go to school, come home, do your homework. The kids are getting three to four hours of homework a day, which is just retarded. It really is. So the kids, mom, dad, everybody's just freaking tired. Then we throw technology on top of it, and all the spare time is spent looking around on Facebook and playing video games and whatever and chatting with people you never really meet in real life. And this is all cascaded into a, a problem. On, on the education side of it, though, we can do something. But what's the solution? You're going to go join the PTA? Run for the school board? Well, how about something simpler? Be a parent that teaches, trains, and spends time with your kids doing cool stuff. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to give you some ideas for that that will help kids learn. And the good news is that kids actually love learning. They may bitch a little bit when you say, hey, we're going to do this tonight, or we're going to do that tonight, or put the phone down, or put the tablet down, or whatever it is. But once you get that separation done, and you get into something they generally actually get on board with it pretty quick. And the earlier you start doing this, the easier it is to do. 
Because if they have a track record of, oh, and then they, they always have fun, then by the time they're like 12, 13, 14, and you do this where they're a little more rebellious, they already kind of know, hey, this is going to be fun. So if you got a kid that's like 14 never did this before, do it, but it's going to be a little more challenging than if you started at, let's say, four, five, six. Because that's when dad and mom are cool and you want to do everything with mom and dad. Key is, guys, if you do it then, you're already cool mom and cool dad by the time they're 14 or 15. And uh, it, it is a hard thing for, I think, a lot of us. And that's one of the things I, I hope the, the youth of today understand is since we grew up basically parenting ourselves, uh, basically figuring things out as we went, and, 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 I mean, Gen X is the generation that is the latchkey generation, um, we really didn't know what to do. And we figured since you, we figured it out, y'all would figure it out. But we didn't realize what was missing and the things that had been added. You know, we look at the Internet and think of how much it adds from an ability to learn stuff, but it also becomes a crutch. And you don't become a fast runner if you don't put the crutches down. That's just all there is to it. Sooner or later, you've got to put the crutches down, start walking on your own, then you can be a runner. And so we're going to talk about some stuff today to kind of get this generation of our youth today really into millennials. It's really this next generation, the kids that are right now going to school. Get them up and running and uh, improve everybody's life. All right, so before we do that, let me remind you of our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is the original survival podcast sponsor, the first company that ever stepped up and said, Jack, we want to sponsor the show. That was over nine years ago. They're still here. They're still sponsoring us. And I bet you if you're a long-time listener, you know who they are. Safe Castle Royal. Again, the original survival podcast sponsor. Vic Rontala and his team have an amazing website. It's like... The Walmart of prepping. If you can think of it for prepping and you need it, they have it with great customer service and great pricing. They also have a, a discount uh, program, discount membership program. It's $39, it's $49 a year if you buy it yourself. But if you are an MSB member, you get a lifetime uh, one of them for free. That gives you discounts on everything they have, which makes great deals even better. If you need something for your prepping, I bet you Safe Castle has it. They've been loyal to us for all these years. We ask you to remember that and be loyal to them. SafeCastle.com. Next up today, Jeff, the Berkey Guy, Gleason. What are you going to get from the Berkey Guy? Perky water filtration systems, filters, etc., of course. Do you know why he's the Berkey guy? Because he's actually the Berkey guy. He's like the number one distributor for Berkey in the United States. He takes the great deals that he gets on Berkey, passes them on to you. And how did he get to be that successful? Just by calling himself the Berkey guy? Nah, that probably helped. That was smart marketing. But what really did it, I believe, for Jeff is his consistent uh, commitment to customer service. If he has an unhappy customer, he'll go out of his way and do everything reasonable to make them happen. I'm sure he's found an unreasonable customer here and there across the years. God knows I have. But in any situation where there really is something he should do and he can do something, he gets it done and he makes sure the customer knows it. In almost uh, almost nine years of working with Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason, my complaint file is pretty, pretty slim. There was one, and remember that unreasonable customer thing? Yeah, it was one of those. Jeff's a fanatic. He'll take care of you. Don't go buying your Berkey stuff from the guy down at the gun show that got into it yesterday because somebody told him it was a good thing to be in. Deal with the one, the original. The, the, the guy that's been loyal to us for a long time, Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason, at directive21.com. 
This is usually where we do a history segment. As I said, David Verne has been on um, hiatus and unavailable to do the history segments at tspwiki.com. So what I've been doing to put some history into the show, because I think it's good for perspective, is this day in history. And it's nice of History Channel at history.com. They have a whole bunch of stuff I can pick from for every day of the year. So that's awesome. Uh, today I have, we're going back uh, 43 years to 1975. Jimmy Hoffa vanishes. Many people today that are of the younger generation we're going to be talking about have no idea who Jimmy Hoffa really is. It has something to do with unions or something like that. But they know the name and they know the whole thing that, well, he disappeared and probably got whacked. Um, Teamsters Union President Jimmy Hoffa is reported missing in Detroit, Michigan on this day in 1975. He was last seen alive at a parking lot outside of Marcus Red Fox restaurant the previous afternoon. To this day, Hoffa's fate remains a mystery, although many believe he was murdered by organized crime figures. By the time of his disappearance, Jimmy Hoffa had a long and mercury career in union politics. In the late 50s and early 60s, he became the main focus of government investigations into corruption. In 62, Hoffa faced misdemeanor charges in Tennessee. He managed to get a mistrial, but was convicted two years later for obstruction of justice by tampering with the jury, receiving an eight-year sentence. In Chicago, Hoffa was tried for fraud and handling Teamster pension funds. Hmm. Convicted and sentenced to 13 years in prison, that sentence was commuted by President Richard Nixon in 1971, and despite his criminal record, Hoffa remained a key, key teamster figure until his disappearance. All types of theories have circulated about what happened to him. One popular scenario had Hoffa buried beneath the football field at Meadowlands Complex in East Rutherford, New Jersey. One man even claimed credit for his murder in the mid-'80s, saying that he had dumped Hoffa's body in the Osable River after killing him. Authorities have never been able to confirm what really happened to Hoffa, He was declared legally dead in 1982. I guess they gave up figuring he might ever come back. But that's what happened this day in history in 1975. Real quick before we, we, we dig into uh, today's topic, um, I, w I found it interesting that yesterday we did um, the sinking of the USS Indianapolis, which was the, uh, the ship that delivered the bombs, the atomic bombs, that were later dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And the reason we did that is because, well, it did happen yesterday, but I also brought up the whole thing about uh, Jaws and Quint um, telling the story on the boat right before the shark goes totally berserk about the men going into the sea and everything. So I was telling my wife about this yesterday and reminding her about it. She's like, that was on Jaws. And we turned the TV on, and one of the Discovery or Science or something like that had a tribute to Jaws on. And they went through the whole thing, so it was Kind of cool. I'm pretty sure it had to do with that being the date of the anniversary, though. Nothing was mentioned about it. Uh, it also talked about how that made Steven Spielberg's career and basically gave him carte blanche to do whatever he wants. So I just thought that was an interesting little aside that I'd throw in there. So let's let's talk about this stuff here. Let's start out with something like there's there is no doubt that probably the children of members of this audience suffer less from this. But it doesn't mean we can't learn more from the reality and do a better job ourselves. Because it's easy, like I said, you know, if you work 8 to 10 hours a day, and, and your spouse works 8 to 10 hours a day, and you come home and the kid has 3 hours of homework, and the other kid's screaming because they're, they're little yet and they can't do stuff for themselves, and you got to cook dinner, and oh my God! And it's hard, but if we look at the current state of children who are basically weak and uninformed and unskilled... 
we, we have to take, again, that first admission, it's our fault. It's our fault. They didn't do it. Human beings did not physically devolve between, like, you know, kids born from, like, like after 1980. There wasn't some kind of major shift in genetics that caused these kids to know less and be able to do less. And it didn't, like, get worse in, 19, like, 1990 forward. And then it happened again in 2000. Like, and it does seem like those breakpoints, it, it kind of matches the evolution of technology. But a lot of it is our fault. Some of it's not even not teaching them so much. The, one of the big problems our kids have today, they don't know pain. And, and I mean actual physical pain. We, we've bubble wrapped them. They don't get skin knees anymore. They don't play tackle football in, in, in a cold and have their hands hurt so bad that they, 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 they think they're broken even though they're just smacked against a football or a, a kid's shoe. You know, they, they don't experience pain. We, we have a kid, you know, you look at these kids now. The kid's five years old. He's on a bicycle with, with training wheels. The, the, the kid's maximum speed on that bike is about three miles an hour if he's going down a hill. And the kid's got knee pads, elbow pads, and a helmet on, and gloves. He's more likely to get hurt trying to take the, the, the clothing off than from falling on a bike. They didn't put that on. We did this. And that little kid on that bike with the, you know, the, the streamlined helmet that like the, uh, the, the, the professional bike racers use and, and all the, the gear who's got training wheels and can't get hurt, like, That's a metaphor for the whole thing. In every instance, we have tried to put safety up first on everything. And I understand why. We don't want kids getting killed or, or, or maimed. But when, when they can't ever even experience any real pain anymore, and when there is any pain, any discomfort, oh, my God, we got to fix it. You learn through pain. We learn through discomfort. They don't know failure because we've insulated them from it. Now, I really believe that you can, you can praise a person for failing without making failure a good thing. And I think we should. And what I mean by that is when a kid fails, but they really tried, you say, hey, look, you really went at this. Why did you fail? How did you learn? This is a good thing. You can learn from this, and you can go back and try it again. But you don't say, like, the failure is a good thing. You say the, the effort is the good thing, and you separate the two. What we've basically done is said there is no failure. You know, we, I mean, you see things out there like, you know, nobody's going to, you know, anybody that tries out for the team makes it. That's not life. They didn't do that. These kids didn't make these decisions. We did. They don't know challenge. We've robbed them of it. You have kids playing sports today in these leagues, they don't keep score. That's how you know who wins a game. It's okay to lose. You can't have victory without loss. And if you don't have victory, you don't have challenge. We don't let them push themselves. They'll do it if you get out of the way. They have unlimited access to entertainment. This is a problem. Because that means we remove their pain, we remove their failure, we remove their challenge, and you get boredom. And when you get boredom, and yet there's a magic box in your hand that can transport you anywhere through audio, video, and text, you're going to spend a lot more time in it. And then we set poor examples because every time five minutes goes by, we got nothing to do, we pull out our phone and we're on it. 
You know, they do what you do. But on top of it, at least you knew pain. You knew failure and you knew challenge. Imagine if you grew up your whole life with that little box in your hand and you didn't know pain, failure, and challenge. And then I think the bigger thing is we right now are at a transitional stage of humanity. There is, a, there is a, a line of demarcation right now happening where it's not just automation, it's technology as a whole. And human beings are literally changing as a species as it relates to technology. Those of us who are a bit older, we still have a firm rooting in the world before that happened. The people that will come in the next you know, generation or two will be born into it. And be part of it. These kids are born right in smack in the middle of it. And they're caught in it. And they're caught in a place where we have a much better grasp on it. Because we had to deal without having it. They've always had it, but yet it doesn't do all the things that they feel like it should. That's why they all gravitate to socialism. Well, if you can just have all the music you want, if you can just have all the videos you want, if you can just have all the minutes you want, if you can just have all the gigabits you want, why can't you have all the health care and education you want? That's actually a very good question. It's not a bad question. It's not a stupid question. It's not a naive question. The, the problem is the, the, the identifying question word shouldn't be why. It should be how. How can you? How can you? will be answered. It's going to require paradigm shifts in the social order itself. So the knowledge that it's possible is here prior to the will to do it. Because it ain't by stealing from people. It's by changing the way we do it. How can you have free education for everybody? I don't know. How about that little box? How about we start there? Instead of building a multi-trillion dollar institution on a piece of paper... That's 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 the question. But all that stuff's not going to get solved right now. And and they have to deal with being in that place. So what we can do, since we know the world before all of this, we can use this technology to solve problems and help them learn how to do that. We can use this technology that's available to us, simple technology, to plan, to budget, and things like that. Teach them how to do those life skills for themselves. Because God knows school's not going to do it. And we can teach them how to do things that... We were doing before any of this stuff existed. You know, back when you really did have a television set with only three to six channels on it. That's, that's not so long ago. Back when stealing music meant sitting up at night, listening to the radio station with a cassette tape with record hit on the tape deck, but pause hit. And you tried to recognize that song in the first couple minutes and hit that button so that it would start recording and get most of the songs, so it kind of counted. That was Napster, to talk about an outdated technology with an outdated technology. And then once you had one tape made, you could put them side by side in that dual tape deck thing that was new and fancy, and you could do it at twice the speed, high-speed dubbing. Remember that? They don't have any idea about that. Now, I want you to think about something. I talked about challenge. Challenge isn't always like trying to be a Navy SEAL. Challenge isn't always about climbing a mountain. Challenge isn't always about can you make the team. We have had challenge removed from the most mundane things in life. 
getting that song that you didn't want to buy was a challenge. It was a challenge. Getting away with doing something you weren't supposed to was a challenge. All of these challenges are gone. Why do you think, guys, that are like, you know, Gen X age and a little bit older, why do you think we love stupid things like the Netflix thing? What is the, the one with uh, the monsters in it? Uh, Stranger Things. This is about, it, because it's about being a kid in the 80s. And how kids got away with stuff. You got on your bike and you left. No one knew what you were doing until you came back. You get away with all kinds of crap. And it was a challenge. Everything we did and everything our parents did and everything their parents did that they weren't supposed to do had a challenge to it. Today, there's no challenge. Everything's there at your fingertips. That can be wonderful, but not unless it's grounded with something. So let's talk about some things, simple projects you can do at home with kids of all ages that gets them excited about simple things. And also teaches them life lessons and skills. Let's talk about some real easy ones first. How about making butter? I have just done this with my grandson. He thought it was awesome. You know what his favorite part was? The buttermilk. He's like, that's amazing. He's like almost eight now. You know, that's amazing when he tasted it. So uh, I had just been talking to this about this with my wife. And I'm like, you know, if you just next time you go to the store, get an extra jug of heavy cream, you throw it in a jar, add a little bit of salt, shake it up until it turns into whipped cream and keeps shaking it, and eventually it'll turn into butter and buttermilk. And we can do that with, with, with Braylon. So, like, a lot of things. And this is like, this is kind of an example of making sure you follow through. Like, we ended up going on vacation, and then my wife went on vacation, and like it just didn't happen. And then the other day I saw on Facebook a thing about making butter in a, in a mason jar. And I, I tagged Garthe. I said, remember to get that extra cream or whatever. Like, we need to do this. So then we did with it. He thought it was great. And that's, that's as simple as it is. You need to make sure the jar is only about half full, though, so there's room for every. Because when you start shaking it, it'll turn into whipped cream. You know, and open it up and let the kids stick their finger in there. Hey, that's where whipped cream comes from. Most of them don't know. And we didn't just make the butter. I explained, like, this is cream. Do you know where it comes from? He said it comes from a cow. I said, yeah. But do you know, where do you get the cream? He said, well, well it's, it, it's milk. Well, close. He explained, like, you milk a cow, and then you have whole milk like grandma and, and grandpa buy. And then you have skim milk like your friend's body you don't like, right? Yeah. The difference is the cream has been removed from the milk. We explained how the cream comes to the top and how they used to scrape it off. We even talked to them about back when we had milkmen and they would bring the milk and it wasn't pasteurized. So the cream would separate and you had to shake the milk before you drank it. They thought all this was really cool and he got something out of it. Now the truth is you got to shake a lot. So I did most of the shaking, but he helped. And then all of a sudden we watched it turn into butter and he saw butter form and like that will never go away now I know it's a small thing and most of the stuff today is small things but okay now that's in his head that that's how butter gets to be and most people you know know intrinsically you make butter from cream but do you think the average 15 year old knows that today or even understands that it can be done in their kitchen see when you take someone and you show them they can do something easily that they thought was complicated It turns on the mind and says, well, what else can I do? Another one, cook soup with them. I think cooking in general, I could have made this 20 things to cook with your kids today easily because I love cooking. And I have seen cooking and kids go together so well. But I was, I was trying to think, they like, what is probably the, the best thing to cook with a kid? And it's probably soup. 
And the reason behind it is it's simple. It's simple, it's relatively safe, and it brings satisfaction, and it's gratifying. And it makes a lot for a little bit of money. So it's a good economic lesson as well, without even making it that way. Just the fact that by the time that kid is going out on his own or her own, they know, hey, for a few bucks I can make up a huge pot of soup and I can eat lunch every day for a week for, for you know pennies on the dollar compared to buying lunch at, at going out. That alone, I mean, how much could that add to their retirement? Without even thinking about it that way, especially if you do some of the other things we're going to talk about today. But the other reason I like soup is there's a lot of stuff to cut up in soup. And a lot of it can be cut with a knife that's not really super sharp or anything like that. So you can, a lot of times with all the stuff that you're going to be cutting up and all, a lot of it can be cut without like a super sharp knife or a really big knife. You can, if you, depending on the age of the kid, you can do things like if you're going to be cutting up potatoes, let's say. You can cut them up until they only need to be sliced one more time. And you can use, you know, a, a, a relatively safe knife for a kid to use. There's a lot of stuff to do. But it's all easy. And you also have a lot of, there's actually a lot of steps in stoop if you do it right. You start out with a good saute of something like, let's say, onions and garlic, maybe carrots, celery, and onion, a mirepoix. Now we've learned what that is, where that comes from. It comes from France, so that's cool because France is far away. And then we add the water and we add the other things and we make a stock or a broth, depending on what we're doing, how long we want to take. We're going to add meat, etc. We're going to simmer that. And then, you know, we're going to add our, our vegetables that we're going to eat later into the cook because we don't want to cook them into oblivion and into nothing. And if we're going to make noodles, how we're going to do Like, all of that stuff. And then they'll, trust me, they'll eat it. When you get kids to cook something, they want to eat it. When you get, if you want kids to get, get kids get eating vegetables, get them to help you in the garden and let them grow something. You know, because then, like, they planted it, so they want to eat it because they planted it. It's, it's really simple. But soup's probably one of the best things to start your kids with when it comes to cooking. And it's fulfilling, satisfying, gratifying. It's economically a, a good thing to be able to do. And it starts that whole skill set. How about teaching them to build a fire? No, I want to teach my kid to build a fire by rubbing two sticks. Your kids get bored fast, dude. Teach them to build the fire prior to lighting it. And why you do it that way. This is tender, and then we're going to use some kindling, and then we're going to use some bigger pieces, and this is how the air flows, and then we're going to light it and let them light it. If it doesn't work, say, hey, you know, let them do a lot of it. And when they don't do it perfectly, let it go. See if it's good enough, right? And then if it is, go great. Like, but can we do it better next time? If, if there was room for improvement, there probably will be. And if it doesn't work, hmm, why didn't that work? Let's try that again. You know, it's not on my list, but like one of the things that I actually it is on my list. I'll save it. Uh, but shooting a bow and arrow, I'll I'll, I'll come back to kind of like one of the beautiful things about things that are natural um, and skill based is nature and the thing, whatever it is, doesn't care about your feelings. So like when you go to build a fire, if you just throw a whole bunch of crap there. And there's not enough airflow, and you don't get a good air-fuel mixture. You don't have you know, something that makes a good tinder and kindling. Nature doesn't care that you, you want it to burn. There's no cheat code for it. it. You get instant feedback. You did it wrong. It doesn't work. That's what a lot of these things do, and that's why they're great. So now we know how to build a fire. We know how to cook some soup. Now we can build a fire and make soup. You know? Then we can make some butter to put on the bread that we eat with the soup. We know how to feed ourselves, keep ourselves warm, cook, 
dry clothing with a fire. I mean, you see what I'm saying? Like, all of a sudden, these simple things that most of us had a parent or a grandparent show us how to do this stuff, kids today aren't learning how. How about making an herbal salve? I think it's one of the best things that you can teach kids because society has tried to make everything specialized to the point where you have a problem, society has a solution for you, go buy the solution. And, and nowhere is that more the case than in, in medicine and healthcare. And frankly, this is one of the reasons that people are paying $500 a month for health insurance that they don't ever use because they're healthy. And people are paying for health insurance and expecting it to, if it was car insurance, to cover their oil changes. You know, I mean, that's the, 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 this is why. Because we always want someone else to fix it. Everything is go to the doctor. You know, everything's go to the doctor. I'm, uh, I love my brother and sister-in-law, uh, my, my wife's younger sister and her husband. But my God, everything's go to the doctor. I think they have, like, personal close relationships with their doctors, Because everything's the doctor. Kid's itchy. Take him to the doctor. Does he have a rationale? What? What are you doing? Like, you don't need to go to the doctor. Why? We have insurance. Okay, he takes time out of your day. I mean, like, is there something really wrong? Well, you don't know until you go. Well, maybe you do know. So starting out with being able to understand, like, when you skin your knee, you don't need to go to the doctor. But, hey, we can make a comfrey salve, and that'll help that heal faster. Man, I remember when I was a kid, my grandfather lacerated the inside of one of his fingers. It was like uh, the, the, I think it was like the ring finger on his right hand, if I remember right. And I mean, it, I don't remember what he did, because I didn't actually, wasn't there when he did it. But it was pretty nasty. It almost looked like somebody took a, like a, a knife and whittled a, a piece out of his finger. And uh, he went out and got some plantain and comfrey. And, and wrapped his finger and he just put a band-aid around it. And in a couple days it healed beautifully. And I was like, my grandfather's a sorcerer, man. He can make wounds heal with plants. You know, and that, that captivated me. It, it mattered. And, and you know, I didn't even know that you, hey, you can just take those plants and make a salve out of them until I was a grown adult. When I learned that, I'm like, well, that means that anything that we have that can be easily treated with something like a salve, if there's an herb for that, we can make that salve and try it. And if it's not like something we're going to die from, then we might as well try it and see if it works. That's not like a good philosophy of life in general, not just for you know, a bumper or a craper. Like, if there's a problem and there's anything that might be able to fix it and it's relatively low risk and no one's going to die or it's not going to cost us a fortune if we're wrong, we might as well try it. You see that? Do you see the value of that? And what do I hear from young people that I hire today? I'm afraid I'm going to mess up. I'm afraid I'm going to mess up. I'm going to do it wrong. I'm back to if there is an apparent solution to this problem that's relatively low risk and no one's going to die and no one's going to get seriously hurt if we try it, why don't we try it and see what happens? And if I could just get that into the mind of not just most young people, most people as, as, as an employer, And even when I was an employer, more when I was just like a, you know, a supervisor. Like that was the number one thing I wanted out of people. Like, okay, look, like why didn't you try this? And, and stuff like that starts from simple things. Hey, look, you skinned your knee. Let's go get some, some medicine for it. And instead of going to the cabinet, you go to the backyard. Or how about like 
Remember when you skinned your knee? Yeah. Well, hey, I found out about this cool thing from this guy named Jack on this podcast. And he said we can make stuff for like skin knees and stuff like that out of this plant called comfrey. Let's go see if we can find some. Let's see if anybody around here grows it or maybe we can buy some. And then you can make the salve and it's really easy. You know, basically you take the comfrey or whatever herbs or herb combination you're going to use. You put it in some oil. You warm the oil. You strain it out of the oil. You take the oil and mix it with beeswax heating it up until the beeswax melts. Then you pour it into containers, let it cool until it's a salve. That's easy. But boy, you can learn the chemistry behind it. You can talk about, now, hey, we could learn to do some other things with herbs. It's just a great starting point, and you can give it away. And I don't think there's anything that teaches kids about life more than giving. Like, So you make a bunch of it up, because it's not hard to do. It doesn't cost a lot of money. And you end up with ten little tens of it. And then you have them give one away to friends and family, keep some for themselves. And that learns about doing things for others. So it's not just the hard skill, it's the interrelationship skill that's so lacking in, in, in people today. Not, I'm going to stop saying kids, it's people today are lacking these skills, which is why the kids are lacking them. We at least know they should be there, though. That's why we notice it's lacking, but we tend not to look in the mirror hard enough at times, I think. How about take short hikes in the woods, nature trails, etc.? Man, you want to get them to turn the phone off. Get them in the woods. And when they want to go off the trail to the side, as long as they're not going to go over a cliff and die or something, just follow them and let them lead the way. You know? Well, they could get scratched up. That's okay. Put the coffee salve on it. It'll be great. They could get stung by a bee. Unless they're allergic, and then you should have an EpiPen. It'll hurt. They will have pain. They will learn to deal with the pain. You won't insulate it from them and bubble wrap it. They'll get dirty. Good. They teach them how to wash your hands. Washing your hands is if for just after you take a piss. It's for when your hands are actually... Look down and see dirt on your hands. Go wash your hands. In the creek. Right? Can we drink the water? No, but here's how we can. You see what I'm saying? Like, get them out off the pavement into the woods. And, and, and talk about things when you're there. Talk about the things around you. Look at this piece of wood laying on the ground. And, and pick one up that's, that's not rotted yet. And, and say, can you break this? They can't break it. They'll start beating it on a tree or something. Like, let's just take that as a no for right now. As you can see, I've done this before. Because, <laughs> boy, Braylon and his superheroes and everything's beating a tree, right? Yeah, we, we, we do that a lot. But now let's just settle down. Let me find this other piece of wood. Can you break this piece of wood? He picks it up and just breaks it in his hands. Why could you break that wood? He didn't even know. It was rotted. Didn't know the word for it. But it was like, there's something wrong with it. Yeah, it's not really wrong with it. It's rotted. Do you know how that happens? No, when well, it gets wet and it's in contact with the ground, there's this stuff called fungus. And Do you know what fungus is? Well, you can't really see it in this piece of wood, but I bet you can find some. It'll look like it grows on a tree, kind of weird. Oh, there's some right there. And Oh, well, is that like a mushroom? Yeah, it's exactly. And all of a sudden, okay, now we know about fungal, fungal interactions with wood. We know about the ecosystem. We can talk about how important that stupid little piece of wood is to the soil so the next tree can grow. How the, the, the generations today, when they're done, they leave a foundation for the ones tomorrow? You're going to learn that in a book. Seriously, you're going to learn that in a book. Or can you, can you actually see how being able to see, touch, feel, and smell it is so much more powerful? Learning a life lesson like that. And there's so many things that will happen if you get your kids into the woods and nature trails and stuff like that. I'll just leave it at that. I, I really think one of the best things we can do is, especially today, is have lights out night. 
and you don't have to suffer, right? You know, like I, I'm all for like testing your preps by throwing the main breaker in the in the house and the uh, all the powers out, and then we got to throw blankets on the refrigerator and test it. Okay, that can happen once in a while. I'm talking about far more often than you're going to want to do that. So if it's 115 degrees, I don't expect you to shut the air conditioner off and 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 hook up a battery powered fan with ice cubes and a cooler and and have 15 people try to stay cool from that one. I don't expect that. That makes sense. I'm talking here having nothing to do with hardcore prepping at all. I'm talking about every other Wednesday, every other Sunday, every other and Sunday's a great night cuz everybody's going back to work and school in the morning. You know, so maybe not every week. Maybe it's every other, every third, or the last one of the month, or whatever. We're gonna have lights out night. What's that? No TV, no phones. If there's if there's anything, it's gonna be music, and everybody hears the same music, and it's kind of a background thing, and it's board games or telling stories, or maybe it's cooking with candles on. We can still use the stove or something that just makes everybody stop their shit. And come together as people because it's not just the direct benefit of that, which is being a closer family. It's saying, hey, listen, it's important in your life to stop at times and just be with the people you care about. And by the way, I care about you and it's important enough for me to do that. Don't be surprised if they resisted at first. Most of the stuff your kids are like, tough, we're doing it. And it's amazing once they and if they pout, let them pout. You go, you keep doing it. Don't force them. Like this is a lesson. I, I think women need to learn this more than men, but men do it too. There is nothing that turns someone off like feeling that you're forcing anything on them. I see it with, with you know with, with women with kids all the time with wanting affection. They want to hug the kid, kiss the kid as the kid gets older. They don't really want to do that all the time. The more you push, you just might as well you know actually physically push them away because it's what you're doing. And, but that that transcends to all things. So like lights out night will be one of those things. Like you better get over here and have fun. That that's 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 not going to work. You just start having fun. You don't worry about. It. They'll get on board because they don't have anything else to do. Well, they're gonna sit there and okay, we're gonna do we're gonna read this game out. We're gonna play this game, you know, or we're gonna listen to this uh, this old time story on the radio, or we're gonna uh, make a list of things that we're gonna do next week, or whatever it is. You don't want to make a list of things we're gonna do next week, okay? So you don't care what we do next week, so we can do whatever we want, okay? That means I don't have to worry about where you want to go, okay? Great, let's let's start talking. <laughs> I guarantee you, they're gonna be climbing on top of you, which is a good thing. Um, so some sort of a, a lights out night. Now I just talked about turning TV off and stuff like that, but you know one of the things I've had a lot of fun with Braylon doing is watching like movies and TV shows and stuff like that that I watched when I was a kid. Now guys, this is my grandson, so there's a little bit of a generation gap, right? But like, uh, you know, they just did the reboot of Karate Kid called Cobra Kai. Which, by the way, if you're an 80s kid, my God, but they did a great job on that. There's still, you know, some stuff that is just a little bit ridiculous, like there would always be. I don't think it would have been true to itself if it wasn't. But overall, it's very well done. It's a very interesting storyline. It brings up some real issues that kids have today. It, it really harkens back to the 1980s. It's got great music in it. So we watched it. 
And he really liked it. He had all kinds of questions then because he's taking jujitsu and do I have tournaments like that and how are they different and is karate harder and all that stuff. But then I was like, the other night we had him spend the night and we watched the original movie, which he had not ever seen, the original Karate Kid movie, from 1982. He totally dug it and I'm you know we've watched other things some of the old series that we used to watch on those three channels that were on TV or four channels that were on TV they're like on YouTube like the whole damn thing it's, and I don't mean on the paid version I mean like people have just uploaded it and it's so old no one cares but I mean what did you watch when you were their age and, and, and try to think about that because we've had some stuff where Some of the older movies that we really liked when Matthew was a kid, maybe not when we were a kid, but when Matthew was a kid, and we've watched them with Braille, and you can tell he doesn't really, really like them. And then you sit back and think about it, go, Matthew was about 14 when we watched that with him. And Braylon's seven. So it's not like inappropriate, it's just like it's not at their level yet. So try to think like, think back to what year was it? when you were seven or eight or however old a kid is, and what did you really like back then? Especially when you get past the Barney stage. I, that's a hard one for me. I, you know, that's, let the kid watch Barney and meditate. I don't know, man. You can only, you know, you know your limitations. But try to get them interested in some of the things you were interested in as a kid. Because it'll bring up things. They'll, they'll, they'll be like, so why didn't you just use a cell phone? Oh, we didn't have cell phones. You didn't have cell phones. What did you have? We had phones. Well, they look like, you know what? Let's pause it. Let's get the phone out, or the you know, or the tablet, or the laptop. Let me show you what a phone used to look like. Well, how'd you use it? You used it like this. And when we wanted to call our friends, we called their house and we asked their mom if they were there. And if they were not, we told them to call us back. And if they called us back and we weren't home, then they left a message for our mom to tell us to call them back. The original phone tag, right? Or we leave a message say, hey, I'm going to be here so that we would know where to meet each other. Because they don't even, see, it's like there's, see, there's a challenge in that, isn't there? Remember when you were a kid? Remember when you were a kid and you finally worked, like especially if you are a boy, you finally worked up the courage to call the girl from school that you kind of liked and you didn't know if she liked you back? So you finally worked up the courage to do it, and, well, she wasn't home. Now you had to talk to her dad. And tell them, hi, this is Jack Spierko, and I called for your daughter, and uh, could she please call me back at this number? And then wait and see if she'd call back. Because they said a text message, do you like me? No, okay, somebody else. See, see what I mean? There's so many challenges that are missing. We don't even think about it. So we have to come up with new ways to, to challenge the mind so that it can make use of all this amazing technology that we have. I believe another great skill set people need is basic mechanical skills. I don't think everybody should be able to tear a carburetor down, especially since most cars don't have them anymore. Right? You know, I learned to rebuild carburetors when I was a kid. I learned how to bust down tires and plug and patch tires and what the difference between the two was and why you would do one and not the other and why sometimes one was better than the other. But, I mean, how to change a tire? You know where most parents screw up? The thing is, when I get a flat... I'll teach a kid how to change flat. He'll see dad change flat. He'll understand it's important. Okay, great. You know what happens? You get a flat. You don't have time to dick around with it, do you? You really don't. You got to get it done because you're on the side of the road. Take a Saturday. 
son, daughter, wife, whatever. We're going to learn how to change a tire today. If there's, you know, if there's a flat, this is how you do it safely. You get off the road. You hear this is how the jack works. Be a good idea anyway. Make sure your jack works and there's air in your spare and all that stuff first, right? Don't put the spare on and mount it and have to unmount it and put it back. Get the spare out of wherever it's held. Explain how to put it on. Put the spare back. Put the regular tire back on. If it's time for it, rotate your tires. So here's another thing that happened to our generation. We grew up, most of us, I think, with parents that did things like rotate their own tires, change their own oil, stuff like that. And they did it because financially it made sense for them to do it. You know, no matter what the, the TV claims, uh, things are better today economically than they were in the 70s and 80s. They are, period. I, I listen to these young people talk about, oh, you know, one that long ago, one person could work in a household. No, you know what? It was hard for one person to, to make it on a single, in, a family to make it on a single income. Our, 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 our parents just made the decision a lot of times to do it. And at some point they stopped doing it, and we ended up again, that whole latchkey generation. But, our parents and our grandparents did all these car repairs because they had to. So at least the boys tended to learn how to change a tire, how to change oil, etc. We grew up, and we grew up in a world where I could take my car down to the oil change place. And in, in 20 minutes, I can drive out of there with it. And they'll do a good job. And it'll cost me the same or less if I did it myself. And I'm busy. And, well, you know, it's not like back in the day where you just, everybody lived in the country or whatever. Now I got I got all this oil I got to get rid of, right? I, you know, if you don't have all the equipment, like, it's, I, I know how to do that. So I don't need to know how to do that. So since it's only, you know, 29 bucks or whatever, I'm just going to have somebody else do it. And... That's that's not a poor decision. I mean, I don't change my own oil. When I was in sales, we used to have a saying that we don't need any more experience so we don't take work for experience. And what we were talking about there was profit. Like, this is our floor on this bid, and we're not going any lower than that because we go lower than that. We're not making enough money to make it worth having this job, and we don't need to build our portfolio anymore. We don't need to get just someplace for our technicians to go. We're good at what we do, so we work for a profit. But there's that, that's a good philosophy in your own life. Like I don't need to change my oil to learn how to do it. Right? I know how to change oil. So if if it makes a financial best case for me to let, you know, quick car take care of changing my oil or Toyota do it for our Toyotas, uh, because it's unleased and it's part of the lease anyway, and I don't even have to pay for it. Well, then that's a good decision. The problem is that my kid doesn't learn how to do it. Because I don't have to, he doesn't learn how to. So we have to set up some things. Basic mechanics. Changing tire. You know, do your own tire rotation. Then you get to learn how to change tire four times. How to do it safely. How to use the jacks, etc. You know, so at least that way they know what it, what a you know, what a tie iron is, right? When they know what a wrench is, they know what a ratchet is, they know what a jack is, they know what these things are. Um, I think another thing, and I've talked about this quite a few times before, so I'll go briefly on it today. I believe that children should not only have an allowance, that they should have an incentive-based allowance program. 
In other words, I don't have any problem with you saying, like, this is the baseline of chores or things that you're going to do around the house, or you're going to end up locked in your room with no phone and, and no Internet, right? Like, there's your basic responsibilities of the household. But I think you should give them beyond that, in addition to that in some way, some way to earn money. And I think really you should sit down and say to yourself, self, without putting the family out poorly, how much can I afford to pay this kid? And then you, then you at least have a maximum of number that you're willing to let this kid be able to earn, not necessarily be guaranteed that they're going to earn. In fact, I don't think it should be guaranteed. And, and how much do I think I should be saving for this kid? And then take some portion of what you think you should be saving for it and move it over into the willing to pay category. Hold on if you're getting nervous. This is going to be okay. And then what you basically do, and, and the way I did it, I, I made them a list of chores they had to do every week. And if, let's say, this chore paid a dollar, and he did it, well, he got paid a dollar for it. If he didn't do it, somebody had to be responsible for it. And clearly it wasn't him because he didn't do it. So that person needs to be paid for doing it. That would either be me or Dorothy. So he wouldn't just, let's say if he was making a dollar a day and getting $5 a week to be easy as his base pay, um, he wouldn't just now, he didn't do a chore one day, so now he gets $5 minus one, $4. No, he, he, that week he would end up with $3. How? Okay, so he didn't do it, so clearly he doesn't get paid for it. I did it. It was his responsibility. He has to pay me for it. And we were pricks. We were pricks about it. We made him feel it. At the end of the week, he actually did get paid $5. Here's your $5. How's he learned from that? Okay, so I gave you $5. How much should I have given you? Well, I didn't do one chore, so minus one. Oh, so give me a dollar back. Okay. And then who did this chore you didn't do? Well, mom did it. Oh, okay. So give mom a dollar. You have to pay her to do it for you. Now you're left with $3. Remember all the bonuses you could have made? Eh, you don't get any this week because you didn't get all your chores done. Because we would do things like every week you do all your chores, you get a bonus, maybe another dollar, right? Do it for a month and get $5. And then if you put some in the savings, we'll match it. So remember I said pulling some of that savings back over? So when it went into savings, it went into... Uh, two types of savings. It was short and long-term savings that we had. Short-term savings is whatever he did for himself. That's the money you don't... Like, we really think it would be a good idea if you had a jar or a cup that you put money into that you specifically think, I'm not spending that money this week at least. Then we have our other long-term savings. It goes in a box over here. And it's in this box. And mom and dad control this box. And one day when we're old, you're older, we'll take you to a bank and we'll open up a savings account with it or something like that. For right now, it's going to be here. And you can see it. You can audit it. But you don't get any money out of this box. If you want to have extra money to do things with, you need to take it out of this cup. And uh, I, I was pretty freaking proud, man, years ago when we had moved to Arkansas. And we had an apartment where what we did is Matthew got his first apartment was one bedroom. When we moved to Arkansas, we'd come down here and get a hotel room, and we realized that was kind of stupid. So we said, why don't you talk to the apartment complex where you live, find out what one of their nicer two-bedroom apartments are, and then move into it, and we'll pay the difference between the one and the two-bedroom. And that way we have a bedroom when we come to stay with you. So we would come and stay with him, and sometimes he wouldn't be there. And I'd go to get a coffee cup down, and there's a big cup up in the cabinet, and I pull it down, and there's like several hundred dollars in it. So you think that's stuck? 
You know, because that was the money that didn't go in the bank. That was extra money from the bartending tips. There was still that process was in place. It's almost like if you teach them this stuff, they actually fall. So some sort of incentive-based allowance program. Um, next, then help them create a budget. And, and I mean a budget. I mean, you don't have to get real complex at first. Like, sit down and say, well, this is how much money you can earn. This is how much money you've been earning. Like, how much do you think you should save? How much goes to long-term savings? And as they get older, you can pay them a lot more money, but you can also give them a bill or two or three. What's the difference if you tell your kid you're responsible for a third of the electric bill and a third of the cable bill, and then you give them enough money in an allowance and make them pay it back, right? Well, it actually teaches them that, like, that cash flow is what's called non-discretionary spending. Like, if you're going to have these things in your life, that's going to be there. So you adjust this, obviously. You don't have that conversation with a seven-year-old. It's, it's over their head. But you do have that conversation with a 12 or 13 or 14-year-old. And you might say, like, the average electric bill is this, and that's why we put this amount in your allowance. But, you know, if the electric bill was a little lower this month because somebody was a little more responsible with their electrical usage... You know, let them learn their way to success. It works. That's all I can tell you. Um, next, I, I, you know, I talked about going in the woods, and, and that's great, but there's also a lot, usually a lot of times there's stuff around you that you can use as educational tools and conversational tools. Botanical gardens, zoos, aquariums, those are all things we did with our son, we're doing with our grandkids now. I'm actually going to take a day off in August before the kids go back to school, and we're going to go out to Grapevine. There's a huge aquarium out there. We're going to go there and look at all the fish and talk about it. We did it last year, and they really enjoyed it. Um, even, I've even done things like taking them to Cabela's. Because they have all the mounts, and like he'll ask me, like, well, what's that, and, and, and where, do you, where do you find those, and why don't we go home and look it up? It's a mountain goat. Like, you know, could we go see one? Well, I don't know. I don't think they live in Texas, buddy, let's, but let's go find out. Like, anything like that that gets the mind going and gets questions being asked and has some level of adventure to it. It's just so powerful. Aquariums are really one of the best because there's, there's so much that they can learn just looking at one tank. Like, here's that fish, and here's where he lives, and here's where he's from, right? I mean, you can get that mind interested in that by watching the old cartoon. It's old now, by the way, Finding Nemo, right? And, and that whole concept, you know, it, 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 there's, there's so much power. Botanical gardens, you know, kids expect that you know everything, right? Well, a botanical garden, they name everything. So at least, you, what kind of tree is that? Well, that's a box elder. How'd you know that? Because the sign says so. You know, where are they from? Let's, let's look it up. See, there's no problem with that information world. But it should relate to something. There should be a reason we're using it, not just because we're bored. Because we want to know something. We want to learn more. Um, I think gardening, obviously, is a good idea. But I also think, like, especially with younger kids, like, they ain't good at delayed gratification right away. And if you can get them something that, that gives back to them pretty quick, that they can see happen fast... That kind of lights the fuse and gives them patience to go a little bit longer. So like microgreens and sprouts. So those are great projects to do with kids. You know, you can teach kids how to do sprouts with a mason jar and a ring, a lid ring, and instead of a lid, hardware cloth. Screen. Right? So, I mean, it's so simple. If you have a dish rack, you throw a handful of whatever sprouting seeds you want in there. You put the, the screen over it and you screw the ring on 
You take the, the, the faucet, you turn that on, you fill it up with water, swish it around, dump it out, do it a second time, and then every day you fill it up one time and dump it out and then just set it upside down in the rack until it fills up with sprouts that you can eat. Well, once you have that system set up, you can give that job to a seven-year-old. Every day you fill up the jar and turn it upside down, and then whenever it's done, you take these sprouts out so we can eat them that day, And you put new seeds in, and you soak them for a day, and then you drain it out, and you just keep that in rotation. They can have that job. It's not hard. All of a sudden, they're helping to feed the family. They're also turning a few cents worth of seeds into a few dollars worth of sprouts. Microgreens is a little more involved, a little more sophisticated, but unless you're doing it for a business, you can grow a crap ton of microgreens under one small light. Two or three different kinds. Easy. Teach them how to harvest it. I mean... Ten-year-olds can grow, harvest, clean, manage a small microgreen garden right on a shelf in your house. There's no insect pressure, right? It's not going to, you know, if they don't water, it'll die. But it's, it's not anywhere near as complicated. There's no weeds. But there's food on the table every day that that can have something to do with. You don't think that puts some pride in them? By the way, people make a full-time living doing that. That's a skill set. I'm just saying, right? Doesn't mean your kid's going to grow up and be the microgreen guy. It just means it's another option. How about on, on true prepping, building a bug out bag with them and discussing it? You know, and, and I think a lot of times parents don't really talk about preparedness with their children because we don't want them to worry unnecessarily. And, and I wholeheartedly agree. I think if you're telling your kids, you know, Johnny, one day. There's going to be a disease that's going to kill everybody except us. We're going to go live in the woods. I think you're a horrible parent. I mean, even if you believe that, I think you're a horrible parent. Like, kids should not be worried about stuff like that. But you can just say, you know, like, you see on TV where there was a fire. Like, we're probably not going to have a fire here or something like that. But there could, there could come a time when we have to leave and go somewhere. Maybe somebody needs our help. So we have to go somewhere and be with people when we don't have all our stuff. So we might need enough stuff to get by for three days. What stuff do you think we would need? If you were going to go spend the night at Grandma's, what would you take with you for one day? Well, I'd take some clothes and some toothpaste and my toothbrush and whatever. Okay, well, we know we need stuff like that. And you don't have to make it scary to build a bug out bag. We're not talking about building a tactical kit. We're not talking about arming your seven-year-old with an AK. We're talking about three days' worth of clothing, food, comfort supplies, something to do. Well, I'll have my tablet. It might not work. Maybe the internet would be down. Oh, that's a real emergency. What are we going to do? You know, maybe some cards, things like that. You put yours together. You know, it's an incentive. Like, once you see your kid build a bug out bag, it's an incentive for you to at least look at yours if you have one, and if not, put one together. Because you don't know if you're going to have to leave. And then, you know, talk about how it's convenient. You know, if we have to go visit somebody, we do have some stuff with us. I mean, if we get stuck there, we have to stay because it snows. Like, it doesn't have to always be, some, see, at least the same thing we talk about ourselves. It doesn't always have to be a disaster that pays off with a bug out bag. I haven't ever learned really a lot of disasters in my life, but the, 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 the kit that I keep has been useful. You know, you're, 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 at, you're visiting grandma and a snowstorm comes in and you're in a spending the night. Yeah, I know grandma's got stuff, but it's nice to have your own things. And, and, I mean, the number one use I've actually heard from a bug out bag, having to go to the hospital. From, from real world, I used my bug out bag, Jack, was we had to go to the hospital. 
And sometimes it's because one of the people in the immediate family gets sick or injured. But a lot of times it's a phone call comes in and Grandma's in the hospital. Or Uncle Joe's in the hospital. And everybody rushes. And when you rush, you don't have anything. And I've seen it. I've been in hospitals because of things like that. And nobody has nothing. And I'm going to go over to this and I'm going to do that. And you're like, boom. And you're, you're there. You don't, you don't have to worry. So you can find ways, and I think it's a good thing beyond the bug out bag. It's really one of the main prepper things I have today that, that can be about preparedness that don't have to be scary. You know, involve your kids in planning your pantry. You know, that doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be, so when, when the pandemic hits, Johnny, we're going to be here for 90 days while people fall over and die on the streets. It doesn't have to be that. It's just, hey, look, we need to make sure we have enough. What if people come visit and we need to feed more people? You know? What if it snows? I mean, again, the snow thing, or for some reason you can't go to the store, that's a great thing for kids because they actually think that's exciting and fun. You know, what if the lights go off for like a week and we have to get by? Like stuff like that, that, that gets them thinking like, hey, stuff breaks, but it's okay when stuff breaks. We have cool stuff we can do. Well, if, if, if the lights go out, it'll be a lot like lights out night. <laughs> you know, I, re I remember... One of the first times I saw this whole concept of preparing the family really pay off. So this was before I moved to Arkansas. This was before I started doing the show, actually. And uh, we, we had our place in Mansfield. It's a nice little house in suburbia there. And uh, power goes off. And everybody just goes into motion. My kid was like 14 by now, so he kind of knew what was going on. So, like, it was cold out. It was like 20s or a little colder. So I'm like, well, we're going to need to be a fire. Matthew, my son's like, I'm on it. He grabs one of the, the, those stupid fire logs, you know? So he whips the fire log in the fireplace, gets it going. Dorothy has right into our, to get our blackout kit out, which is we keep a bag with all flashlights and stuff like that. So you can put that together with your kids. So she gets a flashlight Inside the blackout kit, there's a bunch of candles. She starts throwing some candles out, lighting them up. I go out in the backyard, grab a flashlight off of the windowsill, and, 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 and come in with a freaking big armful of freaking uh, wood, lay it down on the hearth. He's already got the fire log going. I lay the wood down. He starts putting the wood in the fireplace to get the fireplace going. And, you know, I'm like, well, we'll get the generator if we need it. And... Next thing you know, we're sitting there listening to the radio to see if there's any information about why the power is out. And uh, looking up the weather report on our cell phone. And everything just happened. Like it had been drilled. Because sort of it had, but we never really said, what are we going to do? It was like, oh, this, we need a fire. Well, we've built fires before, so we don't have to do that. All the stuff for blackouts in there. The little emergency power, Sylvania power lights we used to recommend back then came right on so you could see good enough to get back there. Like everybody just went in motion and did it. And most people were like, oh, what do we do? And they even figure out what to do. People don't generally just sit in the dark with their thumb in their butts. But the concept of an immediate response. So like, let's get the fire going in the fireplace while the house is still warm. You know, and Dorothy runs upstairs and shuts all the upstairs bedroom doors so we close off the space. Like that type of thinking. It was just built into us at that point. And I think there's a good reason to involve your kids with preparedness without making it scary. And that's because when something goes wrong, many hands make light work. So I think that's a really good one to do. Um, 
again, involve them in the basic pantry planning and, and, and figuring out what you're going to cook next and things like that. Do career research. Build a worksheet for them. Like, every kid's like, oh, I want to be a fireman. I want to be this. Well, how about, okay, build a worksheet with just ten things on it. Something you can just print off. and make, Print them off one a week. We're going to learn about being a fireman this week. What, you know, what education do you have to have? How much money do they make? Where can you get that job? Whatever it is that you come up with. And that way when they're, they're in like their second or third year of high school and teachers start talking about the college talk and every child go to college and student loans and all that stuff, at least they have in their head like, okay, here's all these things I could do. Here's how much they pay. Here's how much it's going to cost me to do it. And they won't make stupid decisions. But they'll also learn so much about the world. And they'll learn gratitude. When they realize, like, what a fireman really does, instead of just being this, this guy on TV that everybody says is a hero, like, the school as he goes to, the training he gets, and that to be real involved. It can be simple, depending on how old the kid is. Then, then, like, the fact that somebody out there does that job will matter to them. I mean, a, a big problem we have in our society today is nobody has any gratitude for shit. Everybody's like, I want more, I want more, I want more. That's because they don't know how much, how many people are giving so that they can have what they already have. That's why. That's why it's a, a you know a, a me too society. I want what's in it for me. I want more. People don't have any idea anymore what goes into providing what they already have. Teach them basic Excel, and if you don't know how to use it, learn. Just show, just come up with some things that you want to figure out, and build a spreadsheet. Show them, hey, look, you change this number, this number over here changes. Hey, look, you could set one of these up for your homework and just. Plug nuts like a calculator that you can completely set up and customize. Trust me, kids will think that's cool. Now, the age-appropriate thing applies. But, yeah. How about... All right, so my next one is, you know, with preparedness, it's good to have portable food. And MREs kind of suck. And, you know, things like Mountain House, they're effective for what they are. You buy an envelope, you throw it in your bag, you have it. But, you know, make your own. You can use dehydrated vegetables, freeze-dried meats, things like that. I was yesterday, I found this pretty cool um, dry sausage uh, that they sell more as a snack stick. And I was thinking, you know, I got some, uh, some freeze-dried gulf shrimp uh, in, in the, uh, the long-term storage. Um, I could easily use this and that with some pre-cooked rice and some peppers and some other stuff with some onions and a, a certain mix to make basically a sausage and shrimp gumbo that would beat the hell out of anything you buy. And I was thinking I should make something else. I think I should do that with the kid. Then after we make it, we'll eat some of it. How could you make it better? Right. So now we're learning about cooking. We're learning about preparedness. We're learning about food storage. Right. We're learning about bug out bags. All of that ties in together. It's a it's hell of a lot bigger lesson than let's go to the store and buy some bags of black beans and rice and stick them in our thing, right? I mean, there's there, there's a lot to be said for that. And that'll bring me to my uh, last one for this list uh, that I have today is I really think it's a great idea to teach kids how to shoot something. Um, boys and girls don't care which one. I, I'm not sexist when it comes to teaching kids to be armed. Uh, you learn a lot from learning how to shoot, and you have to adjust the thing to the age. I mean, you can do a bow, a BB gun, a slingshot, airsoft, etc., uh, to a real firearm, depending on their age, responsibility level, etc. Um, 
this is what I was kind of alluding to earlier with kids learning from natural systems that don't care about their feelings. We got my grandson, I should say my wife got my grandson, a bow and arrow toy type bow and arrow. It's actually pretty cool. There's not really a, a, a rest. The arrow goes straight through a hole that's formed into this plastic bow. And it's a totally safe bow and arrow for him to have. He's not going to hurt anything with it. I told him if I catch him shooting the dogs, I'm going to shoot his butt hard. Uh, but it wouldn't even hurt him if he did. The, the arrows are these little fiberglass arrows, and uh, they don't even have any fletching on them, uh, which is feathers, if you don't know what fletching is. And then they have like a little soft rubber ball on the front of them. And even if you get the draw all the way back, they only go about 25 feet, I guess, at best. But it's it's a bow, and you can aim it, and you can knock the arrow, and you can pull it back. Well, anybody that's ever shot a bow knows, like, when you shoot a bow, like, it's real easy, let's say, pull the string off the arrow and not bring the arrow back. Like, there's, there's a way to do it. And there's really only kind of one or two ways to shoot a bow and arrow that will even work, and then the rest of them just don't work. Well, when he got that, he got really frustrated because he couldn't get it to work. And he was so excited and, and getting so ahead of himself that he wasn't listening to me as to what needs to be done. Now, I didn't need to yell at him or fuss at him or tell him he was wrong. I just said, buddy, it's a bow. There's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it, and it's just not going to work until you do it the right way. So you need to slow down. And it was very easy to be calm and not on his case about it because the tool was the trainer. It simply wasn't going to give him what he wanted until he did what it wanted him to do. So I was able to just kind of sit back and go, okay, well, you, uh, you, you let me know when you want some more help because what you're doing right now is not going to work. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, he got real coachable real fast. And I think a lot of things are like that. We have a wrist rocket slingshot now, and he could actually hurt one of the dogs. So he, and I had the whole, you got to be safe, you don't do this, you know, all, all that type of discussion with him. And, uh, you know, he, he was he's really good about that, and I really do have some confidence in him now. But you always have to reiterate those safety things and responsibility things. But we got him a wrist rocket slingshot and these little uh, clay... Uh, ammo pellets. They're about the size of a ball bearing, but they're made of clay. When they hit something, they kind of break. I think they would work for shooting small game or whatever, but yeah, they're biodegradable is the way to look at it. And, you know, he wanted to shoot, so I'm out there and I set up a target about 25 yards, about maybe 25 feet out, and a little metal thing about, you know, about six inch diameter, a little metal steel thing that we used to shoot with a BB gun. And I took the thing and Ping, you know, and he's like, oh, he wants to do it. And, you know, and he's not listening again. And then it doesn't work. Well, the slingshot doesn't care about your feelings. It doesn't care about your wants. It doesn't care. It is an inanimate object. And that makes it a great training tool. And then slowly he learned and he got to where he could pull it back and let it go. And he realized that what anything he couldn't do, he was just too much in a hurry. And I think, you know, shooting is an instant feedback sport. You don't get to make yourself feel good about something in spite of the fact that you did it wrong. The target gets hit, or it doesn't. The arrow flies, or it doesn't. That type of thing. And you also start to move in the world of things that are dangerous. And I think that we don't let our kids do enough dangerous stuff. Again, I said we've removed all the challenges, all the pain, and all the risk from their lives. We've bubble wrapped them. And that does not help them. 
Because they're all going to grow up and eventually probably get in something like a car. You know, most of the kids that are around today will drive. Probably your youngest kids that are out there today, kids like my granddaughter's age, they may never drive a car. By the time they're 16, we may be in a world of completely self-driving cars, but I doubt it. It's probably another generation before there's no you know, you, nobody drives at all anymore. So they're going to get behind the wheel of a 6,000-pound hunk of metal that can do 100 miles an hour before they're a legal adult. They're going to do that. That's dangerous. So it, the fact that they're going to be doing things in life that are dangerous means that we should be letting them slowly do dangerous things as they grow up because what comes with danger is responsibility. You know, when I when I got my kid his first BB gun, my son now, I'm going back to, to Braylon's father, um, we treated that BB gun like it was a loaded .30-06. It would cross a fence. Okay, we're going to make sure it's safe. We're going to put it down. We're going to point the muzzle away from us. We're going to go down over here. We're going to cross the fence. We're going to come back and get the gun. And, do you, and I remember one of my buddies going, do you need to be that serious with a BB gun? I said, well, I want him to be that serious with a deer rifle, don't I? How am I going to expect that he'll behave in a way that's consistent with safety if I don't train him how to do it while he's young enough to listen to me and take me out my word and show him through example that I mean what I say? And, and, and we need to be doing that in all walks of life with our kids. It's demonstration and example. And these are just some ideas. Like, what can you think of? Like, what are some projects you think are great to do with kids for educational purposes? Love to hear Mike and Sue chime in on this one. I'm sure they'll listen to it. It's right up their alley. But, you know, my final thoughts here are we can sit around and bitch about the school system. We can bitch about society. We can bitch about Generation X. We can bitch about the baby boomers. We can bitch about the millennials, the coming Generation uh, Z. Uh, we can bitch about everything that we can come up with. But, again, we're back to the same old, same old circle of control. Circle of influence and circle of concern. And the reality is that even people very close to you that are inside your circle of influence, like your children, eventually grow up. And when they're really young, most things in their life are not just in your circle of influence, they're in your circle of control. You can actually control what a two-year-old eats. You can actually control when she goes to bed. You can actually control when she turns off a, a, an iPad where she's watching a video. You can actually control that. As children age, they move further out of your circle of control, and eventually many of the things in their life now are only within your circle of influence. And eventually, if you do your job right, you literally have zero control over any other living human being. And a healthy, grown child that's now a young adult should have moved completely out of your circle of control. And if they haven't, they're either failing to launch or you're a control freak and you need to let go. But what you want is them to voluntarily remain in as many places in their life within your circle of influence. That doesn't mean they'll always do what you say, but they'll always care what you say. That doesn't mean you're all, they'll always take your advice, but they'll always seek your advice. It's a very important thing. And the way that happens is you start educating them before they require the information. Next time your kid has a headache and you're going to give them a, a, a kid's Tylenol, talk to them about why it's actually time for a Tylenol. If it is, or why it's not, if it isn't. And if it is, let's, let's look on the back of the bottle together and see how many you should take. You know it's one. 
But let's look, let's do that together in that little fine print. that say? One every four to six hours. Okay, so we're going to take one here, take it. Okay, so what time is it? What time is it? Well, it's four o'clock. So when can you have another one if you still need it? Four hours from now is. And if they're not to the point yet where they know their math problems in their head, four to five, six, seven, eight. They don't even have to get it right. They're not going to be doing it themselves yet. But you know what? Then you're going to have a, a, a kid that's in you know college and gone away or something, and they have a headache and they want to take some aspirin or Tylenol or Motrin, reads the back of the bottle instead of calling mommy when he's 19 years old asking, what should I do? And if you think that stuff doesn't happen, I'm telling you right now that it does. Involve them in everything that you can. Let Even if they don't, you don't have to always get the lesson learned. Just expose them to the concept. You know, you're going you're gonna to make dinner. They're sitting there. Hey, if you're using a recipe, how many cups of water does it say to put in this? I don't know. Well, look for me. I'm over here doing this, cooking for you. Just so they get the concept. Like, So if you don't know, you can go find out. You know, reloading, I think, is a great skill you could add to this once they're old enough to do it. Hey, it's dangerous. You screw it up and you can blow it up. There's a lot of stuff out there that, that, that are skill-based that, like, many of the things are things you maybe you don't know yet and you want to learn. We'll use it as an opportunity for the two of you to learn together. But I, I did a show... A while back, I covered a lot of this more from a theoretical standpoint than from an individual skill-based standpoint. And I'm using the same image today in today's episode. And I'll put a link to that one. That was called, it was called something like Raising Resilient Children in a World Full of Wusses. And this kind of dovetails. It's almost like this is, even though they're pretty far apart, like it's a series. So this same image in there. But this saying that I wrote for this image... It's a little kid standing out in the woods. This kind of sums up everything I'm trying to say today. If you want a child who will grow into a resilient adult, let them have adventures. Let them play in the forest. Let them be challenged. Praise them for both succeeding and for failing. Let them skin a knee. Get their hands dirty. Get tackled. Play with dangerous things so that they may grow up and just grow up strong as we all once did not so long ago. I mean, really, it's not that hard to raise resilient children because humans are resilient beings. We're actually using a lot of technology and a lot of interference to prevent it from happening. If we move that stuff out of the way, if we mitigate the, the malevolent contributions of technology and stop interfering with their natural dispositions... We'll go back to having kids growing up just as resilient as they ever were. Because again, the natural state of a human being is one of resiliency. If it wasn't, we wouldn't be here. We're only here because we're resilient as a species. We've studied things in, in the history segment like the plague. There's a human bottleneck. So there were only possibly several hundred to several thousand people left on the planet at one point. Way before the plague, by the way. And somehow we once again repopulated the far reaches of the planet. Because we're resilient. So it's not so much raising resilient children. It's clearing the way so that we don't make them into non-resilient beings against their natural state. 
Anyway, I hope you enjoyed today's show. I'll, I'll look up that other episode and put a link to it. If you haven't heard it, it'd be really worth uh, listening to. It was interesting. That episode, um, Jeff Lawton's folks actually put it on the Permaculture News blog, even though it had nothing directly to do with permaculture. And it was funny that some of the kind of you know left-leaning, purple-breathing permaculturists got really upset at the use of the term wusses in the title. <laughs> And it was sexist and whatever. And it's like, you are an example of what I'm trying to prevent having created. Because if something that like that bothers you that bad, you're, you're ignoring the core message because you don't want to hear it. Clear the way for your children in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they won't depart from it. With that, guys, if you like this show and the work that we do and you want to help support us, Actually, first, let me give you an apology. There was quite a few phone ringings in the show today and places where I clearly got off track a little bit and had to try to get back on. Uh, the Internet and the cable TV service were off today, and I was using my phone as a uh, tether and uh, using my uh, laptop to, to get work done, waiting for a technician from the cable company to come by and, and fix me, which he did in the middle of all this. So I, they have like this system now where they call you like 80 bazillion times to remind you the guy's coming, and you don't know when it's actually going to be one you have to answer and when it's going to actually be the guy. So I was unable to turn that all off today. Um, and I had to keep the phone plugged in so the power wouldn't go down so that I had Internet service while I was doing all this stuff today. So anyway, that's why that happened. Anyway, if you like this show and, and the, the lengths that I go through so Sometimes to make sure that it does come out every day. Um, you can consider supporting us. One way is to become a member of the Member Support Brigade. You get a bunch of great discounts. And, hey, you'll be a member of the Support Brigade. That matters around here. That means that you are part of the team. And uh, you're part of the team in a way where you're, you're given about 20 cents an episode to help support us, but you get your money back through discounts and some other really cool content. You know, there's almost $200 worth of free e-books you get on the first day alone. Uh, check it out. Just go to survivalpodcast.com and click on members to learn more. The other way you can help us out, and it's like the uh, the super painless way to help us out, is just do your online shopping through tspaz.com. If you go to tspaz.com, you'll help support the Survival Podcast no matter what you buy whenever you shop online. I brought a product around today that's really like a bonus for things you can do with your kids today in what the main thing I use them for. These are made by a company called Utopia Kitchen, and they're flour sack towels. Uh, it's a bundle of 12 of these uh, all-cotton, uh, fine, finely woven towels. And they're towels. Doesn't sound very preppy, very survival-y, whatever. But uh, actually, a lot of things that people use them for. Uh, a lot of people use them for drying dishes and stuff like that because they're lint-free and they don't leave lint behind. Um, that's a good thing. Uh, a lot of people actually use them for embroidery. And it's not my thing, but hey, that's something you could do with your kids uh, if you wanted to. But what I use them for is instead of using cheesecloth, uh, I use these. And the reason is you use cheesecloth, and it's kind of a once-and-done deal. you got to make a bunch of layers out of it because it's really got pretty big holes in it after all and you know what have you. But with this, like you use it as cheesecloth, and then you just throw it in the short cycle in the washing machine, and it's clean, and you fold it up and use it again and again. And again, uh, they're great for that. They're about two twenty a towel, and they're the best deal on a quality uh, flower sack towel that I could find on the internet uh, or on Amazon. Actually, I found some cheaper ones, and all of them, the reviews are like, "Use it a couple times; it's got holes in it and stuff like that." These things last. Uh, they have over twenty nine hundred reviews with five stars, and they get an A grade on FakeSpot.com. 
so you know that they're legitimate reviews from people who are actually happy with them. Awesome, awesome product. I use them for making yogurt cheese. And this would be another cool thing to do with your kid. All you got to do is go to the store and get some whole milk yogurt. Because if it's not whole milk, it's not yogurt. It's a lie. It's a scam. Don't buy it. Whole milk, plain yogurt. Plain is important. And it needs to have active and live cultures on the label. It pretty much needs to say milk and cultures. Nothing really else. Uh, sometimes they'll say, like, they'll add milk protein to make it stiff or something. That's fine, but no added chemicals or something like that. And then you just take one of these flour sack towels and put it in, like, a strainer and then pour your yogurt in there. And then you mix any seasonings you want in. Some of the stuff I do, I do fresh basil and garlic. I do jalapeno and garlic. I do cracked black pepper with rosemary and thyme. That one's really good. Uh, cracked black pepper and almond slivers was really good. We do lemon zest and chopped walnuts. So anything you think would taste good in cheese, chives is really good, for instance. Um, you mix that in there, and then you just fold the towel up, and you set that colander like over a bowl so it'll drain, all the whey will come out of it. And if you want to make it a little firmer, throw like a, a big jar of spaghetti sauce on top of it and let it sit out for 12 hours. People are like, put it in the refrigerator. No, don't put it in the refrigerator. Then it won't get all nice and tangy. Because it gets nice and tangy because the lactobacillus... Uh, bacteria kind of come back to life when this happens. They get woken up, and they start nom-nom-nomming on everything. And they take, you know, they actually reduce the carbohydrates that are in yogurt that are pretty lean to even less. So it's good for you folks on paleo low-carb. Kids will like to eat it. It kind of tastes like tangy cream cheese flavored with whatever you flavor it with. So that's another good thing to do with your kids. And it takes five minutes. It takes five minutes, and the next day you have this cheese. Put it on stuff for them, get them to eat it. They'll eat it, it's healthy, and they'll do it because they made it. You involve them with it. And these are the best tool I found for the job. Why buy cheesecloth and throw it away? When these things can be used over and over and over again. So uh, check them out, Utopia Kitchen, Flower Sack Towels. But remember, you can support the show, the work we do, no matter what you buy, as long as you do your online shopping at dun-dun-dun-dun-tspaz.com. That brings us to our song of the day. And, um, man, I never pay attention to the song of the day when I... Uh, When I, when I plan the show that I'm going to do. And uh, a lot of times it just really works out. Today, boy, it works out. Song of the Day today is My Generation by The Who. Talking about my generation, right? Um, man, this, th this is a great song because I do think we're too hard on millennials. And I do think we're just too hard on young people in general. And, and we forget, like, Gen X was considered the greatest slacker, apathetic generation of all time. And, and, and you baby boomers, you guys are all out doing, dropping acid and, 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 and being tripped out all the time. And, and being hippies and stinking and not taking a bath. That's what you guys did. Not all of us. Well, hey, that's what these young people are telling us today. But this song is really kind of about that type of a generation. Uh, Roger Daltrey sang the lead vocals with a stutter, which was very unusual. Recording two takes the song normally. Uh, their manager, Kit Lambert, suggested to Daltrey that he stuttered to sound like a British kid on speed. Daltrey recalled, recalled Uncut Magazine in 2000, October 2001, I have got a stutter, I control it much better now, but not in those days. When we were in studio doing My Generation, Kit Lambert came up to me and said, stutter. I said, what? He said, stutter the words, it makes it sound like you're pilled. And I said, oh, I like I am? And that's how it happened. It was always in there. It was always suggested with an FF fade, but the rest of it was improvised. <laughs> P. 
Peter Townsend wrote this on a train ride from London to Southampton on May 19, 1965, his 20th birthday. In an 87 Rolling Stone magazine interview, Townsend explained, My generation was very much about trying to find a place in society. I was very, very lost. The band was young, Len, young then. It was believed its career would be incredibly brief. So they, they didn't think the Who would be around for very long. It's a pleasant surprise for them, I guess, how long they've been around. And then you'll love this. Back in 1967, Pete Townsend called this song the only really successful social comment I've ever made. Talking about the meaning, he explained it as, quote, some pilled-up mod dancing around trying to explain to you why he's such a groovy guy, but he can't because he's so stoned he can hardly talk. And in mods, they were, that meant it was a short for modernist. And the mods and the rockers in, 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 in England often would, would have conflicts with each other. It's just to the point there were mod rocker uh, riots in the streets of London. And uh, it's, it, it's a crazy uh, example of a bifurcated subculture uh, of two people that really kind of wanted the same thing but had different ways of expressing themselves and basically being a bunch of, you know, doped-up screw-ups. So this is a great song for today because, yeah, we're talking about trying to make sure that our kids grow up strong and straight and whatever. But in the end, you know, you can, you can look at this current generation and talk bad about it, but problems in young people are not new. They say there's another song that goes, every generation blames the one before. We could probably flip that around and say something like, every generation Uh, complains about the one after them, and it would still be quite accurate. There's a lot of hope for our young people. They are in that transitional place right now in society. Try to remember that and try to help them through it. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Just because we get around Things ain't do look awful Talk about my generation I hope I die before I get old Talking about my generation my generation, my generation baby Why don't you all fade away Don't try and dig what we all say
Talking my generation. Talking my generation. 